Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Thursday, February 15th. I'm Hannah Floor. Members of the State, House, and Senate are working out the details of a wide-ranging education bill. It's been one of the biggest priorities of the session for leaders of both chambers, and they say they've been able to find some common ground. But as Eric Stone reports from Juno, they are still far apart on one key issue, how much to increase state education funding. On most of the sprawling education bill, the House and Senate are seeing more or less eye to eye, at least according to Representative Craig Johnson, an Anchorage Republican. I think probably 85 percent, maybe more. We're more than close. We're in alignment. Uh, Maybe not in total agreement, but at least alignment. But as anyone who's ever done a home improvement project can tell you, that last 15% is a heavy lift. Here's Senate Rules Chair Senator Bill Wilikowski, an Anchorage Democrat. The issues that are remaining are, are big issues, and we don't have an agreement on the, the BSA, which is probably the biggest one, for example. The BSA is the base student allocation. That's the base per student education funding, which has been at the center of debate since the legislative session began in January. The bill offered by the House majority includes a $300 increase. Senators have said they want substantially more. Last year, the House and Senate agreed to one-time funding, equivalent to more than twice that $300 increase. And advocates for local school districts are asking for an increase of more than $1,400. Senator Jesse Bjorkman, a Nikiski Republican, says a significant bump in education funding is essential. If we expect our students to have at least the same as what they do now, or hopefully better educational opportunities and outcomes, we need to invest more in our K-12 educational opportunities. And students, teachers, school board members, and administrators have been crowding the halls of the Capitol as the two sides work towards a deal, testifying on Monday to the Senate Education Committee on the need for more state funding. There are only so many branches you can cut from a tree before it dies. Alaska education is to the stump. Maggie Grenier is a student at Nikiski Middle High School on the Kenai Peninsula, and she says some key programs are on the chopping block. At the current levels of education funding, my school will lose this middle school student council, our high school student council, world language, music or art, advanced classes, a CTE class, middle school musical theater, and at least one high school and middle school sport, and our assistant principal position and two teachers. And the situation is even more dire in Sleepmute, a village of less than 100 on the banks of the Kuskokwim River. Student Kylie Hayden told senators her school has been condemned and is at risk of collapse because lawmakers failed to provide money for a new roof. We need major repairs to our school, but here's why we can't just fix it on our own. We have no way to get the extra money. We have no tax base in our region to draw from, so the only thing our district can do to address the problem on their own is to take money away from things like curriculum and staff and direct it towards maintenance issues. The next step for the House education bill is to move to the House floor, though it's unclear when it'll get there. But Johnson, the House Rules Chair, says he's not expecting all of his caucus's priorities to be included. You know, there may be one issue that we don't agree with, but overall the package has got enough in it that we could maybe hold our nose and votes on some of the stuff we don't like. And Senate President Gary Stevens says the bipartisan Senate majority is open to a deal. This is the place where compromises are made. No one seems ready to predict when those compromises will come together. And even if lawmakers do, it's unclear what's ahead if the bill passes. Johnson says talks on the bill to this point have not involved the governor's administration. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Eric Stone. 
Petersburg High School hosted a basketball tournament last week, which was attended by teams from all across the state. The Varsity Vikings soundly won all of their games, and the Lady Vikings lost all of their games, but by a narrow margin. They came up just a few points behind their opponents in each game. As KFSK's Shelby Herbert reports, their coaches say both teams are feeling satisfied with the progress they made this weekend. Petersburg's varsity basketball players have about a month left in their season, and both of their coaches remarked on their progress over the last week. Rick Brock, who coaches the boys' teams, says he noticed improvement in his players' half-court defense right off the bat. So great way to start the tournament. We got really good balanced scoring. We ended up with four guys in double figures, um, and then another one through in eight. So it's good to see us play so well as a team. In Thursday's game against Cloak, he says he saw the Varsity Vikings put immense pressure on the Chieftains. They won that game 76-45, to their best game of the weekend. They went on to win Friday's game against Juno's Thunder Mountain, 66-40, to and Saturday's game against Sisintna Valley from Talkeetna, 43-27. to Brock says he also saw his younger players step up this weekend. I think that JV tournament two weeks ago really helped them. They finished the tournament by playing well against Sitka, and then they finished the tournament by beating Skagway. And I, I felt that really kind of catapulted us forward in this tournament for, for the sophomores and juniors to, to play better in the, in the varsity games. The Lady Vikings had a harder time on the court this weekend. They narrowly lost all four of their games. They had to fit two games into both days they played, Thursday and Saturday. Matt Powick, who coaches the Lady Vikings, says the double days were an interesting challenge. There's really no quit in that group. Both days that we played, we actually had to play two games in one day, which is pretty unusual for basketball. But it was a really good challenge for us. I think it'll kind of battle test us a little bit for regionals, because regionals, you might have to play a 9 a.m. game, and you got to be up and ready to go. Their first game was with the Cloak Lady Chieftains on Thursday afternoon. Cloak won that game 28-25. to then, the Susitna Valley Lady Rams won 39-35 to on Thursday evening. But they pushed through their exhaustion on Saturday and played some of their closest games of the tournament. On Saturday morning, the Cloak Lady Chieftains won 29-37. to And the last game of the tournament was the Lady Vikings' best. On Saturday evening, during their rematch with the Lady Rams, the Petersburg girls lost by just one point. The final score, 29-28. to Powick says he saw a lot of improvement this weekend, but also some areas where he thinks his players can improve. Like our free throw shooting, that was uh, a big topic this weekend for us and, and this week in practice. And the nice thing is that is absolutely something that we can improve upon before the end of the year. Powick says he's pleased that he saw his players scoring evenly all throughout the tournament. I mean, that's the thing I love about this team the best is like, it's pretty unusual for us to have a single one standout player. It's the team aspect of this group that you don't see very often, I feel like. There's no one player on our team that anybody has to focus on stopping that one player and we'll be successful because we can have any one of our really our top nine players kind of take a step up and, and be the leader for the game and it wouldn't surprise me. Looking ahead, both coaches say their players are in for a challenge this week, which is when they're scheduled to play the Metlakatla Chiefs on their home turf. The Chiefs are one of the top ranked teams in the state and they've won every game they've played against Petersburg this season. 
But Rick Brock says, win or lose, the Vikings will grow from this experience. You know, it'll be a great test for us. We'll see where we stack up in the conference or all the games around the league. You can see the games are getting a little tighter. Rango just beat Metlakatla for their first loss in conference this last weekend. So uh, it'll be a good test for us. We're, uh, I'm excited to go down and see where we're at. KFSK will broadcast those games with Metlakatla live. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. A Ketchikan resident submitted a letter to Alaska's Attorney General Treg Taylor that she calls a formal complaint against various local elected officials. As Jack Darrell reports, the February 8th letter accuses local officials of retaliating against her after she attempted to remove books from teen library shelves. Deborah Simon submitted the so-called complaint, which is levied against several local organizations. The City of Ketchikan, the Ketchikan Public Library, the Ketchikan Gateway Borough School Board, and the Ketchikan Gateway School District as a whole. It specifically names almost 30 city officials. Simon is a member of the city's library advisory board. In recent months, she's attempted to get multiple books moved out of the teen sections at the public library and the high school libraries. In the letter, Simon describes what she calls deliberate retaliatory actions in response to the book challenges. Simon alleges she was targeted and treated unfairly by local officials because of her repeated challenges and corresponding appeals. Simon has argued the books should be moved because they're inappropriate for teens, saying they include content like vulgar language, masturbation, menstruation, and themes of depression and suicide. According to Simon, the school board changed their policy while her book challenges were still in process, and that the school board deliberately released her personal information, which threatened her family's safety. In her complaint, she also cites a performance at the recent Wearable Arch Runway show as being retaliatory. At the show, Ketchikan area librarians gave a performance in which they were art pieces that include pages of banned books and pages of the U.S. Constitution under red robes. Simon alleges the performance was, quote, meant as retaliation against residents who have recently challenged youth titles and to all those who speak out in support of those challenges, unquote. Simon also alleges that the timeline of the performance meant that the performers, all public employees and elected officials, were, quote, actively working to undermine the established reconsideration process while they were supposedly evaluating citizen requests, unquote. Patty Sullivan of the Attorney General's office said in an email that Simon's letter is not a lawsuit complaint. The letter was also submitted to the Alaska Ombudsman's office, who Sullivan says only deal with complaints against state agencies. Sullivan called it a local issue and said, quote, the complaint should be shared and discussed with the city and the school district or school board, unquote. In Ketchikan, I'm Jack Darrell. The amount of seismic activity under Mount Edgecombe near Sitka has picked up over the past few weeks, but most of the quakes are quite small. A recent bulletin from the Alaska Volcano Observatory reports that 84 quakes were detected under Mount Edgecombe over a two-day period on January 27th and 28th and have been continuing at a rate of about 10 per day. 91% of the quakes have been small, magnitude 1 or less, and the rest have been magnitude 2 or less. All have been occurring far below the surface and are likely the result of the intrusion of magma into the rock of the Earth's crust. None of the activities suggests that an eruption of any size is imminent. The AVO says the uptick in quakes is partially due to the installation of a seismic network on the mountain last year. In other words, they are seeing more quakes now because more quakes are now detectable. Nevertheless, 
Mount Edgecombe's status remains green or normal. To date, the largest concentration of quakes is the original swarm, which was recorded in April of 2022. Subsequent satellite measurements of the mountain detected some deformation and inflation of Edgecombe's flanks, prompting the AVO to reclassify the volcano as historically active. Midwives in Alaska are speaking out against a plan from Governor Mike Dunleavy to dissolve the board that governs their profession. The executive order dissolving the midwife board is one of 12 that the governor submitted last month to the legislature. Mary Yanagawa is a midwife and former president of the Midwives Association of Alaska. She says the board is critical to the profession and patient care. The states where families can have the best options for midwifery care are states that are licensed and they have a board made up of peers and that board oversees regulation and scope of practice. Board certification is required in order for midwife work to be covered by insurance and to be reimbursed by state Medicaid, which serves low-income Alaskans. Midwives say they must be certified by a board of their peers. If the board is dissolved, it's unclear how certification would work. The responsibilities of the board would be transferred to state employees. Yanagawa says it's hard to imagine how that would be effective since the board is already struggling to support, since the state is already struggling to support the board's work. Yanagawa says decades ago, midwives went to Juno to advocate for licensing. She says dissolving the board is a step in the wrong direction. They advocated to have a board. They advocated to get insurance reimbursement. And many states in the lower 48 still don't have licensure. They still don't have a board, but they're all fighting for it. A spokesperson for Governor Dunleavy wrote in an email that the executive order eliminates duplication of functions and provides a single point of responsibility for the licensing and regulation of direct entry midwives. That's similar to the rationale the governor provided for 11 other executive orders largely aimed at reconfiguring boards and commissions. Earlier this month, midwives, doulas, and low-income mothers spoke to a Senate committee about their concerns the board is dismantled. The Senate took an early step towards rejecting some of Dunleavy's proposed executive orders on Monday, including the order dissolving the board for direct entry midwifery. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.